What does it mean to worship God even when we suffer? Because as Christians, suffering is never the end. It's never the end. And so I thought, man, I almost dropped out of college, which I probably shouldn't be telling you that, but maybe some of you out there are like, there's hope for me. Um, But I I had to, if it weren't for a few gracious professors, I wouldn't be here today. And so um, I, I, I decided, man, psychology connects people. It connects me. It helps me open up conversations. And so, well, now I'm here. <laughs> now I'm here. We went to grad school, moved to Louisiana. We actually worked for a church, uh, Bethany Church in Baton Rouge for several years. And it's our home church and we love it. And Mel and I felt like God called us to start our practice. And so we stepped out in faith. Our practice is called the Well Clinic. Um, not just because of obviously wellness, that's part of it. But in John 4, there was a lady that met Jesus at a well, and she left with something she didn't even know to ask him for. And that's what our prayer is for our practice. And we love guiding people into hope, wellness, and life, and um, emotional health. And so, um, man, thank you for this invitation. I, look, I love your church. I love your pastors. I want to honor. Uh, I want to honor your pastors. Um, you know, they they are laying a strong foundation. Uh, we're going to talk about why emotional health and the stewardship of your soul is so important today. But I think, man, I just want to say thank you and giving us a chance to serve here and honor my wife. Love you. Yeah. His wife is his better half and also his better memory half. Um, yeah. Something about <clears throat> whenever we get in conversations, what you said, you kind of like space out, just kind of you know, and she brings you back. Yeah. Growing up, they called it the Andy stare. Mm-hmm. I'd be looking at you and then I'd zone out. And actually, when I applied to graduate school, um, Dr. Mark Yarhouse, who ultimately became a mentor of mine, said, hey, so one of your references says you tend to zone out on people in conversation. <laughs> How do you think that's going to work in a therapy <laughs> session? I was like, I'm, I'll see you later. You know? <laughs> That'd be no good. Yeah. So, Doc, what do you think? I don't know. I, have, yeah. I haven't been listening for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> Check, please. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so a couple of years ago, actually, we were at a Bethany conference, which Bethany Church in Baton Rouge, uh, you know, many of you know Larry Stockstill. He's, he's ministered here many times. Uh, his son, Jonathan Stockstill, is now the pastor over there and uh, just a great church in Baton Rouge affecting that area in a, in a fabulous way. And so, uh, so we were there at a conference a couple years ago. And I mean, we're enjoying the conference. It's good. And then uh, Dr. Andy got up and started talking. And that, I was like, Yes, say more. You know, everything he was saying was just exactly uh, where we were at, you know, uh, as pastors and as people, because for our own personal lives, um, you know, there's things that you're dealing with as, as, a, as a person. And then also you're, you're trying to create an environment where other people can find healing with the things that they're going through as well. And a lot of times, you know, there's been this chasm between emotional and, and psychological health and spiritual health, there's been this gap, at, at least it feels like sometimes in the church. It's, um, you know, we, we talked about it. It's, it's sort of like, hey, I'm going through some issues. Um, what should I do? And it's, well, read your Bible and pray more. And that's like the go-to church. I mean, if you grew up in Sunday school, like, you know what I'm talking about. It was like, you know, you're dealing with this. So what should you do? 
Read your Bible and pray more. You know, that was like the, the go-to answer. And all those things are, are great. I'm not mocking those, those things, okay? But sometimes there's more to it. You know what I'm saying? And so, so when it comes to emotional and psychological health in the church, it, it kind of becomes, I guess there's a stigma around it. And so, uh, you know, I guess in your experience, what have you seen where there's, there's begins to be the stigma upon emotional health and, and how it's different, but really kind of looking at it more, it's the same. It's actually all intertwined. Can you speak to that? Yeah, so let me, I want to start with the idea of a stigma first. Um, when you think of a stigma, a stigma is a mark of disgrace. And I think that we often internalize our emotions as stigmatized, especially the unwanted ones, like anger or depression, anxiety, unforgiveness, jealousy, bitterness, all of these emotions that we don't know what to do with, it's easier to stigmatize them and to try to shove them down than it is to acknowledge the reality of them, to own them, and then do something about them. And I think this is one of the areas where the church has um, inherited a cancer from our society. I think emotional immaturity is a cancer in our society. We don't know how to think past or get through the bang of an emotion. And I think as a church, we need to be leading that charge in emotional health. And so the first thing I would say is let's destigmatize it by owning it. Because what I, I know this sounds weird, but all of your emotions are a part of you. There's a reason why you may feel anger. Anger is a sign that a boundary line has been crossed. And if you can know how to pay attention to it, you can actually learn what to do about it. But if you just shove it, it just takes over. And so I think owning all of who we are Learning how to pay attention to our emotions, be aware of our emotions is a great first step to destigmatizing them and moving towards emotional health. And when you start doing that, you realize that your emotions are actually a part of a whole person. You know, we are what I like to think of as bio-psycho-socio-spiritual people. <laughs> it's like, what that dude talking about? Bio-psycho-socio-spiritual people, which means we have a body, uh, we have a soul, we have relationships and we have a spirit. And if we don't pay attention to how all of those things hang together, so let me give you a few examples. Um, earlier, uh, earlier, this was a few years ago. I don't know about earlier. The earlier other day, in my life. The other day life. when yeah. I was five, you know. <laughs> we were, I was working with a young lady. She came in our office and she said, I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And so we're going to start with the body for a minute. I want to give you some examples here. Uh, I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and I, I need help. She was being medicated, saw a psychiatrist, and it didn't look right. It just I was like, so look, do you have any health issues at all? And she's like, no, no health issues. So I said, look, please do me a favor and just go get blood work. So she agrees, and then her next appointment, she comes back, you know, said the the most amazing thing, I have untreated hypothyroidism. And when I asked my mom about it, she said, oh, baby, your grandmother had her thyroid taken out years ago. And for those of you who don't know, thyroid issues can cause depression, anxiety, even mood lability that looks like bipolar disorder. Our bodies are intimately connected to the felt experiences of our soul. 
That's why eating is important. Sleep is important. I've met with people, they didn't get enough sleep and they started seeing things. It wasn't demonic. It was that they were uh, sleep deprived. Um, when you think about our soul, our soul is our mind, which is how we think, not just what we think. And I, I think how we think, how you see the world is more important than what you think about it. Because how you see the world is the filter. I could say God is loving and you're like, whoop, yeah, amen, amen. That's what we think, it's theology. But how you think may be, I have to work hard enough to earn someone's love, why would God be any different? And I've never been able to do it. Why would God be any different? That's how you think. And if you're not aware of that, that's actually impacting your, some of you have tried to love God, tried to be connected, and you're like, what is going on? And what I'm saying right now is a light bulb moment for you because you had to try to earn your parents' love and now you're trying to earn God's. Jesus has already earned it for you. Come on, that's good. Come on now. You just receive it. So, um, so our mind, our, our will is the mechanism by which decisions are made in our soul. Like the steering wheel of a car. You know that Carrie Underwood song, Jesus, take the wheel, take it from, come on everybody, take it from, I'm kidding. You got some people standing up. I love Carrie. So, I don't know. I'm sorry you had to see that. Uh, I, I don't you're just know. like holding back. Yeah, I feel like you're I just am. holding I'm, back. You really would just want to dance break, and sing. Yeah. I may run around the building in a minute. <laughs> All right. Not really. You're going to close the service if that happens. Um, <laughs> with us on stage, I don't know how we're getting through a conversation. Actually, I don't know. Um, actually, this isn't very much different than a normal conversation. Where just was so, I? I don't know. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> so when you think about the will, the will is the mechanism in our soul. It's like the steering wheel of a car, right? You turn left to go right. So when your will is not healthy, your decisions aren't healthy. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna define emotions for you in just a minute, but your, your mind, your will, and your emotions are all connected and they form the experience or the reality of our soul. So you've got your body, you've got your soul, and I don't know if you guys have ever experienced grief so terrible that you felt nauseous like you were gonna die. Or panic. When you talk about panic, no one ever says, I feel the emotion of panic. They say, I feel like I'm going to die. My face, my heart's racing. They describe it in bodily terms. So it's all connected. The, the bio, psycho, socio, the social, relational parts of who we are. Guys, we don't know who we are apart from relationships. How we think about ourselves is intimately connected to what's been reflected back to us by other people throughout the course of our lives. That's why when we look in the mirror of Jesus, his mirror is neither cloudy nor broken. You might have been looking in the mirror of someone who's broken and seen two heads and thought, I've got two heads or I'm worthless. And that's not how God sees you. We've just been looking in the wrong mirrors and nobody blames you. That was the mirror that was in front of you and the likelihood is the mirror that was reflecting back to you brokenness saw brokenness through his or her whole life as well. It just gets moved from one generation to the next and God says, I wanna break that in your families. You know, when you think about relationships, loneliness is such an epidemic that the United Kingdom has appointed a government position called the Minister of Loneliness to deal with the crisis. Yep. And while we know that loneliness 
impacts depression and impacts anxiety. Loneliness is that felt sense of I am alone in the world. Research actually suggests that chronic loneliness can cut your life short. If you deal with chronic loneliness, you're at a 20 to 30% chance of dying a premature death. Guys, there's a remedy at Northwood for that. It's called small groups. It's called small groups. It's called relationship. It's called, we're going to talk more about those things, but just connecting. You see how relationships impact our soul and then obviously our spirit. And y'all, there are so many verses. We, we went through so many verses yesterday about how the, 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 the scriptures talk about the mind, the body, the soul, and the spirit. Take Romans chapter 12. It's famous, right? He says, in, at the end of Romans chapter 11, he says, look, everything is for God, to God, through him. Jesus is amazing. And then in verse 12, he says, well, the, it's pretty reasonable considering the awesomeness of God that we give every bit of our bodies. That's our bodies. And then he goes on to say, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the soul. He goes on to talk about spiritual gifts and being a part of a larger body. That's our relationships and our connectedness, all connected to the spiritual conversation. Even in Romans 12, we see the whole person. And so, obviously we see the spirit in scripture, but think about this. I, how we experience early primary caregivers impacts the way we experience God's earlier, meaning several years ago. <laughs> I was working with a man and he says, he came to me to, to describe his relationship with God and he said, I feel like I'm just tiptoeing on glass when I'm hanging out with God. Like I'm just waiting for, ow, something to hurt. And we said, okay, I'm listening. And as we move forward in the conversation, I said, well, tell me about your dad. And he said, man, I don't have a great relationship with my dad. I said, well, tell me about it. He said, how would you describe your relationship with your father? And he said, it's like I'm tiptoeing on glass. And he never put them together. And so our body, our soul, our relationships, and our spirit all hang together. And so when you think about emotions, emotions are just the affective experiences that we have. And when I say affective, that's different from cognitive, which is our thoughts, and cognitive, which is a big word for the decisions that we make. So it's the emotional experiences that we have as our body, as our, the rest of our soul, as, as we interact with ourselves and with the world around us. It's how I can see a Christmas tree and be filled with joy and cry a small tear with happiness. Really? Yes. Tell it's, us more about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, please. No, I'm moving on. Wow. I just, it's how I can smell a cup of coffee and feel happy because I'm interacting with my environment. It's how I can watch LSU football. Whoop, whoop. Go Tigers. That hasn't and, filled me with joy for years. Yeah. <laughs> so, and be happy. It's how I can worship with my family and see my kids and I worship, I, I, my personhood is interacting with my environment, but it's how I experience grief at the loss of a loved one, rejection when someone calls me a name. You see what I'm saying? Emotions are these affective experiences that are wrapped up in all of who we are. So when you think about emotional health, emotional health is actually couched in the idea of holistic self-care. Yeah, it's so important to think of us as one person. We try to delineate, we try to separate. And, um, you know, I've heard people talk about emotions in regards to like worship and just being a Christian. Don't be driven by your emotions. Like almost turn your emotions off. And, and I've always struggled with that because I'm like, well, God created me 
yeah. with emotions, <laughs> like to feel, you know what I'm saying? And so I don't think it's about turning off emotions. I think it's more about, like you said earlier, why am I feeling that emotion? Yeah. Especially if it's a negative emotion uh, draining me, like, like what's, the, what's the purpose behind it? Not, not being driven by your emotions, like that's not healthy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Being driven by them, but being on, honest with why am I feeling this? We talked earlier about denial, and, uh, and that kind of tends to be something that a lot of people do is deny either the reality that they're facing, whether it is a, a, a tragedy, or they deny a feeling that they're feeling. And so if you're denying it, you don't ever talk about it. You don't ever, you know what I'm saying? Uh, talk about we, what happens whenever that's taking place. We, well, I'm glad you brought that up because when you deny something, like, because I, I, I mean, we've both heard people say things like, I'm not depressed. And I'm like, well, you've been in bed for three weeks. You're about to lose your job and everyone hates you because you cursed them out. And you're not, you know, it's like, I think there's a good chance you're depressed. And denial uh, strips God of the opportunity to heal you because you can't give to God what you deny is there. And I think there's a huge, huge difference between acknowledging reality and agreeing with it. So if you want a biblical example of that, look at our father of the faith, Abraham. In Romans 4, it says he acknowledged his age and Sarah's barrenness. I mean, and that, the idea there is that he contemplated it. I'm too old to have kids, and, I, 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 and my wife is barren. Like, she physiologically didn't have kids, but it says against hope, with hope, he believed. In other words, he didn't deny it. He acknowledged it, and he ended up, he agreed with God. With God. And I think it's a really good way that these things come together. And I think um, emotional health has uh, four outworkings. I don't know if you want to write these down. We're not going to have time to really go over a lot of this, what I'm about to say today, but I want to plant this seed in you. Once you start to realize that emotional health is connected to all of who you are, and you start to practice soul care, four things start to happen. You start to become aware of yourself. A lot of times we try to fix a problem and we're not aware of what it is. I'm, I promise you, you do that, it's gonna make it worse. Which is why problems are often perpetuated. So the first thing is, as you build emotional health, you're gonna become more aware of yourself and of your emotions. Number two, you're gonna be able to regulate your emotions more effectively. You're gonna be able to calm yourself down more effectively and there are plenty of skills to do that. Um, we went over a really helpful one yesterday, but. But um, so you know that you can build the skill of emotional regulation. Number three, uh, understanding emotions. So you're not just aware of it, you regulate it and you become, uh, uh, and you understand, oh, this is, this is what's triggering me. Do you know the freedom that comes when you start to understand what triggers you? We call it the hook in psychology. When you get hooked and you get sucked into an argument or you get hooked and you, it's like, Oh, here's your hook. <laughs> and now it allows you to, number four, respond. Not based on the emotional chaos, but based on who you are and who you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So soul care, what does that practically look like? I mean, you know, like how does that really play out? Um, so a, a couple thoughts and we can get there. I think understanding how soul care um, connects, I want to give you a visual because some of this really does come full circle. And so, um, so like we just talked about, everything's connected. Your, your body, your soul, 
your relationships and your spirit and paying attention to all of these things helps build emotional health. So think about a computer. Uh, a computer has hardware, right? The actual hard drive, we, it has a keyboard. I've got a bit of a hybrid up here with me. Um, our bodies are like the hardware of a computer. Our brain, our body, all that, it, it functions that way. Now a computer has software and that software is expressed through a screen, right? Software is what's running in the background. What I would say is our soul is the software of the body and is expressed in our behavior. And what I would say is when people look at the screen of your life, what do they see? What are they seeing? Now, when you think about a computer, if I allowed my computer, which I forgot to plug it in yesterday, so if it dies, it's gonna be a perfect illustration. <laughs> but if I don't plug this thing in, what happens? It dies. That's us trying to live life without the power of the Holy Spirit. The word spirit it means the animating factor of the body or the animus, what, what, the animating factor of life. And so when you plug in to a wall, electricity comes in and the electricity allows the computer and the software to do what it was created to do. Okay? When we plug into the power of the Holy Spirit and he fills us up, he allows our soul and our body to be and do what we were created to be and what we were created to do. He gives us the power to live. And what happens is, as he comes in, he also flows out. So he comes in, he works in us. For example, the scriptures say like in um, uh, Romans 8, it says, and the mind that's set on the spirit is life and peace. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So think about that for a minute. So we feel like we, we gotta get everything together. And Jesus is saying no. Plug into me, plug into me. Let me help you be who I've created you to be. Do what I've created you to do. And then as that happens, when we start working properly over time, our mind moves from death to life and peace. And because the mind and our emotions, think about peace, are connected to our will, we start making better decisions. Now let me tell you about the will for a minute. This is fascinating. We often think that the purpose of our will is to choose between good and bad, good and evil. Are you with me? In the garden, there were two trees. There was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. And the tree of knowledge has two main branches, good and evil. And so what I would say to you is that our knowledge of good produces the same thing as our knowledge of evil. And what is that? It's death. I could plug an internet cable into this thing and get all the knowledge I want, but is it power? No. If, if you think that the purpose of your will is to jump branches and you stay in the tree of knowledge, if you study scripture but try to live it out based on your power, we're just living in the tree of knowledge. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and was like, look, it, you look to the scriptures and it points to me and yet you don't come to me that you may have life. It, so when, when we are plugging into God, we realize that the use of our will is not to choose between good and bad. It, it's not to jump branches, it's to jump trees. 
from knowledge to life. And the crazy thing about that is that when you plug into life, you get knowledge. Think about the apostles. None of the apostles had a formal education. But when they spoke, there was such wisdom in the knowledge they did get over time that it was like, who are these people? They reckon, they've been recognized as one who's been with Jesus. There's, there's, a, there's a power that comes. And so what happens is when we plug in, he fills us up. Our soul becomes alive. Our bodies become alive. And then as we think clearly, there's life and there's peace. We're able to give back because we're using our will in appropriate ways. And the fruit of our soul turns from things like anger and bitterness and jealousy and hatred and anxieties or fears to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Look, if you get in this, say amen. Because it, it, it takes the pressure off of us. It takes the pressure off of us. Yeah, you said uh, the, the thing about knowledge. Um, you know, I, I, I think about this quite often when Jesus was there and, and on earth and, and people were saying, you know, they, they wanted to see signs and wonders and, and all that stuff. And, and Jesus was like, you know, basically, you're not going to see any of that. You know what I'm saying? Because even yeah. if you do, you're still not going to believe, right? And like, there was this whole uh, fact and, and figures and knowledge thing that people were wanting. And he was like, I'm standing right in front of you. I am the sign. I am the wonder. And you're talking about knowledge, and I just can't help but think about, uh, especially today, we're in like this intellectual age. You know what I mean? Like you said, internet, man. You just plug in, and you've got all the knowledge you need. And there's this concept that if I just know more, and if I just keep researching, like I'm going to find it through that, that vantage. I'm going to find that relationship with God through that vantage point versus understanding it's that presence. You know, it's, it's the present, man, Galatians 5, you know, all of that is the fruit of the spirit. It's the fruit of being with Jesus. Like those things come from that. You don't like create this fruit and then all of a sudden you, you are with Jesus or, you know what I'm saying? In his presence, it's actually the other way around. And it does, it takes the pressure off, yeah. you know, but it's this thing of knowledge. So, so, you know, we're, 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 yeah, go ahead, man. Well, I just had don't, a visual. Don't, don't do that. And then. So th think about an apple orchard. Have you ever walked, how many of you have been in an apple orchard or an orange orchard or some kind of like vineyard or something? All right. I've seen strawberry. I've been in a strawberry, a strawberry patch. All right. A strawberry patch. I've been there. Maybe I've been using a strawberry <laughs> patch. So when you walked into that strawberry patch <laughs> and you listened, couldn't you just hear those plants going, <laughs> and then out popped that strawberry? <laughs> Come on, that, that, that plant's working hard. Yeah, I yeah. love it. No, that'd be really weird, and you would run for your life. <laughs> Sounds like a freaky movie where all of a sudden that plant's like, all of a sudden pop, <laughs> eyes pop open. <laughs> <they're like, laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I don't want any part of that. No, not me either. But here's the funny thing. That's how we live our lives. I can... I need love. I'm going to do this. I need peace. I'm going to work as hard as I can for peace. God, why am I experiencing this? And I'm going to control myself. I'm going to do everything in my power to control myself. And we're like a strawberry bush going, come on, strawberry. Come on, strawberry. Those are not ultimately the byproduct of how hard you work for them. Listen, here's the deal. If you learn, and you talked about soul care, two things. If you learn what it means to really abide and wait, 
two of the most powerful spiritual disciplines to go, God, I'm here and I'm waiting. All kind of stuff bubbles up. It's okay. That's the stuff we run from, but we realize Jesus is more powerful than that stuff. We don't got to run from it. We can be aware of it. We can overcome it, but we got to acknowledge it. When we start to wait on the Lord and we let him speak to us, what happens is what Jesus talks about in John 15, as you abide in me, what does he say? So that my joy may be in you and you may be full. Wow. The, the power of that. And so I think two keys to soul care are knowing what it means to abide and knowing what it means to wait on him. Um, unbelievably powerful because that's when you ultimately see um, the fruits give birth in our lives. And when you think, what does it look like to abide? Think about that tree in the ground. It waits. It learns how to just be and wait on the Lord. And so literally, let me show you what this looks like. We didn't do this the last service, but I, I think this is really helpful. Um, you ever seen, you ever been to the beach and you've seen those planes that come by and it's like $12.99 shrimp come to Steve's? You know what I'm talking about? So as a psychologist, especially early on as a psychologist, I would be working with like, so let's say you and I, right, I'm working with you and we're talking and then all of a sudden there's this plane that comes by in my head that says you're a terrible psychologist you don't know what you're doing you can't help this person oh my god I'm a terrible psychologist my anxiety goes up and then I realize two minutes have gone by I have no idea what he said so now I have evidence that I'm a terrible psychologist <laughs> but what I've learned to realize is those are just experiences they don't mean anything it's not experiences that shape who we are it's the meaning that we agree with about them and so now what I'm doing is I'm learning that when that thought comes, I'm a terrible psychologist. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't help uh, Pastor Jordan. I see it go and I was like, maybe. And then I re-anchor right back into my conversation with him. Is everybody with me? All right. So what happens is when I'm praying and I'm waiting on the Lord, I'll find a passage of scripture like, uh, or I'll say, God, I need your life or speak to me. God, my father, I'll use the Lord's prayer a lot. Father who art in heaven. God, I'm your father. You're my father. I'm your son. Speak to me about who I am as your son. And then I'll wait. And when those planes of life come by or the emotions of trauma bubble up, I go, you know what? I'm experiencing you, but you're not going to control this moment right now. And I'm not going to judge myself. I just take my thought. And like I re-anchored in, in Pastor Jordan, I re-anchor right back in, but you're my father and I'm going to wait. What I do is I re-anchor in the reality of this. I acknowledge the experience, remember, but I, I agree with my identity, and I anchor in that. And so what I'm doing is I'm not wrestling with the distraction. I'm not wrestling with the emotion. I'm just bringing it right back to, and your peace, and I'm waiting. God, your peace is the soil of the roots of my soul right now. Come on, somebody. I'm going to plant in it, and I'm going to abide. That is a super practical way to learn how to abide. Like, you know, I, I was just listening to somebody on Facebook this morning. Um, and actually, it was Pastor Ken Claytor, who was here a couple weeks ago. And he said, um, uh, and it's a cliche. It's a cliche that we always say, always say is, is, 
He said, if you're going through something right now, he said, a lot of times, he said, for me personally, I've, I've, I know that a lot of times I've been in a, in a really, really, I mean, it could be stress, it could be anxiety, it could just be a situation. He said, but uh, I always know that, that whenever I'm in the midst of it, I know that I'm, I'm on the edge of breakthrough. And yeah, so we always say, that, I'm about to get my breakthrough, right? I mean, we get all excited about that. But, but it, really what that is, if you're doing it in the right heart, it's you're re-anchoring yourself in the truth that I'm going through this, but guess what? It might be painful for me, but I'm going to make it through this because God's with me. And on the other side of this, I'm going to give God glory. I'm going to be able to help other people go through this, right? It's, it's, it's not just sitting there and agreeing with it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's being honest about what's in front of you, but man, there's glory that's going to be given to God whenever I make it through this. It's kind of related to what you're talking about, you know? Let me give you a personal example. I'm going to tell on myself here for a minute. So um, when you practice this kind of emotional awareness and abiding in Christ and praying, you can do it in moments where it's just you, or you can do it in moments like this. So um, one of the things I've learned about my wife is that she's for me. But my issue is I haven't always believed that she is. I have to take responsibility for that. And so when I've been speaking or things like that, I'll ask my wife, and so she'll give me praise and she'll give me constructive criticism. And what I've done in the past is treat the construct, constructive criticism like an attack and be like, well, everything. And then all of a sudden I'm a catastrophizing where everything was terrible. And my wife said, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. And so I, I've been praying about this. God, what, what is in me? And I felt like the Holy Spirit, as I'm waiting, now this is, I've been waiting for a while and getting different pieces of this. But one of the things I felt like the Spirit said to me is, your insecurities are keeping you from receiving the blessing of feedback. Because when you act like you're the victim, your wife doesn't want to give you feedback. Yep. Now, whose responsibility is that? It's mine. So I thank my wife for feedback now. Whether I feel like I'm like, whether it's discouraging or not, she is for me. She loves me and I'm going to receive it. And let me say, if you can learn how to receive feedback from your spouse, it'll be easier to receive it from the Lord. I mean, really, uh, so much of our relationships mirror. If we learn how to receive feedback from God, it helps us receive feedback from our spouse. So I'm going to publicly say I'm so grateful to my wife. Oh, so grateful to my wife for being honest with me. Here's the deal. If my wife tells me something, I can trust it. I may not like it. <laughs> All the spouses out there are like, amen. Uh, but uh, so I, I think that's a really good example because that's me abiding. God, I'm going to wait on you. Here's the, here's, here's the emotion I have. What do you want to say to me about this? And then I wait. Let me say this about waiting. A lot of people get frustrated. They practice this with me and like, Doc, this doesn't work. And so well, how long did you try it? 30 seconds. <laughs> and it was terrible. <laughs> they don't really tell me like that, but that made my point, I think. I think we don't understand that waiting on the Lord is never a waste of time. It's never a waste of time. What gardener tills the soil in his garden and then says, where's my fruit? Yeah. We'd be like, bro, you need some patience. <laughs> you need to be in gardening? They need, they need to do a rock garden. Yeah, you need a rock garden. That's what I'm talking about doing right now is a, like landscape, pull it all out, just put rocks down. I mean, 
and plastic plants. <laughs> what, is, what, is that, what does that say about my emotional state, right? Like, these weeds, ugh, get them out. You I'm, know, I'm glad we have a couch in the back. <laughs> no, <kidding. laughs> well, I, I'm being aware, though, aren't I? Yes, well, I mean, you're building awareness. I'm aware of where I'm at. <laughs> what, waiting on the Lord is never a waste of time because it's you tilling the soil of your soul to receive whatever God gives whenever he wants to give it. It's never a waste of time. I want to talk about two things before we get into some kind of rapid fire questions towards the end. But I want to talk about uh, two things that I think are extremely important is uh, forgiveness and confession. Uh, You know, we've spoken a lot in the last few months uh, about forgiveness and confession and the importance of them and and how they affect us as people. Uh, And anyway, I'm not going to I don't want to talk a lot about it because I want to let you speak about that. But uh, I mean, how significant are those two things in our life? What's actually happening when we do them? Uh, You know, Yeah, I think those two things, thank you for asking that question, because I think those two things are two of the most important tools that we have for soul care. There's a lot of misconceptions about forgiveness. I um, I have one lady I'm working with, and she refuses to forgive because the unforgiveness helps us to hang, hang on, helps her hang on to her hate, and her hate feels empowering because of the trauma she's experienced, but she's just keeping herself in bondage. And Part of the reason that she does it is she's having a hard time wrapping her head around what forgiveness really is. And let me say, forgiveness is not forgetting. That's impossible. Um, Forgiveness is not saying that what happened is okay. It's not. Forgiveness is not dependent upon an apology. Because forgiveness is about your freedom. Apologies move us towards reconciliation. And while reconciliation is a goal of forgiveness, it's not so tied to forgiveness. In other words, forgiveness and reconciliation, while they're related, are not the same thing. You can forgive and not be reconciled because sometimes you can you cannot trust that person to not abuse you. Sometimes that person is dead. Forgiveness is not the absence of boundaries. Are, are you hearing me? I think somebody in here really needs to hear this. Forgiveness is not the absence of boundaries. You can forgive someone and never choose to speak to them again. Are you following me? There's two things that forgiveness is. It's a decision, and then it's an emotion. It's a decision, and then it's an emotion. And here's the hard part. I think real forgiveness is one of the most difficult things that we can do, but it's one of the most freeing. It cuts the chains of the past off of our present self so that we can live to be who God's called us to be and do what he's called us to do. But this is what it means to make the decision to forgive. I am no longer holding you responsible for the consequences of your actions against me. Ooh. If you've been raped and have an STD, what you're saying is, I'm I'm releasing you from, what you did is not okay. But I'm releasing you from the consequences. Here's why. If you don't take responsibility for those consequences, how are you going to heal? You did this to me. You did this to me. You're still giving that person authority over your brain, over your body, over your soul, over your relationships, and over your spirit. At some point, we got to say, this this is my illness. This is my depression. This is my anxiety. These are my issues now. But here's the beauty of this. Once we accept responsibility and we make the decision to cut that off, we then take it and lay it at the foot of the cross. 
As Christians, there's a benefit to this. We lay it at the foot of the cross and we say, God, I can't bear this. You did. Here it is. And so now what I'm giving you, I need you to fill up that hole. The bitterness that I give, I need you to fill it up. I walk with people through visualizations. One lady, I walked her through this and she started weeping. She had been sexually abused um, uh, and, and uh, even by her husband and physical abuse and all, all these things. And so 20 years ago, and we're walking through this process of forgiveness. It took us a while to get there, but when she finally got there, she says, I'm ready. We pray this. And then when we pray, God, now get an image of Jesus giving you back, giving you something, a gift to replace what you just gave him, the trauma, the abuse. She loses it and loses it for about five minutes. And I say nothing. I cry with her. And finally, when she starts to get it together, I said, what, what do you... What do you see? And she said, Jesus gave me back what he stole. He gave me back me. And it's like, so the, the power, and if you wonder, like, this is psychology. This is science. But if you want to see this in scripture, look at the Psalms when it says, he forgives all my iniquities. Forgive, though, the words pardon, and it literally means to release someone from the consequences of their actions. And you know what that word all means? It means all iniquity. That word iniquity means perversity, depravity, and guilt. I'm pretty sure that there's nothing you can do to south side of the realm of perversity, depravity, and guilt. And listen, David wrote that after he murdered Uriah. So when David said, God, you forgive all, my, all, all of my sin, every iniquity, every perverse thing, every deprived, he had Uriah's murder and his affair with Bathsheba on his mind. And the revelation that he had of the forgiveness of God was so unbelievably powerful. If he forgives us like that, he will certainly empower you to forgive the people who have wounded you. And when you're able to start doing that and you hang on to forgiveness because we think that the emotion, I know I'm spending a little time on this, but this is important. A lot of times we think, all right, so I make the decision. The second part's emotion. Why do I still hate that person or feel hate? It's because sometimes it takes a little while for the emotions to catch up with the reality of the decision. Let me give you an example. Um, if we're hanging out, um, right, and... Uh, uh, let's say Nadine gets upset with me. We're at a camp out. And Pastor Nadine says, look, I don't know what you're doing. And she throws a flaming marshmallow at me. Like we've been roasting marshmallows. And this is actually pretty, I mean, this could happen. Yeah. This. <laughs> and so Pastor, Keep going. Pastor Keep. Nadine hits me in the face with a flaming marshmallow. Yes. And mm-hmm. it sticks to my face and my skin's melting off and I'm losing my sight. They rush me to the ER. Well, there's several consequences to that, right? There's physical, there's, there, I, I can't see, there's emotional, I, I'm, I'm sad, I'm anxious, I'm confused, there's a lot. Uh, relation, our relationship may be hurt out of that. Maybe financial consequences, I was saving up money for a new truck, like Pastor George, and now I gotta spend it on reconstructive surgery and a new glass eye, and it's like all of these things. Like, this it, is emotion. an amazing story. I mean. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, she can apologize and I can forgive and we move towards reconciliation. But look, two weeks down the road, we are good. I've forgiven her. I've taken responsibility for my healing, for my therapy and all of that. But let's say my wife comes up and bumps my eye. What do you think is going to happen? It's going to hurt. 
Because my forgiveness didn't cause the immediate physical healing, forgiveness doesn't always lead to immediate emotional health. Yeah. It's the start of it. Yeah. And so you gotta hang on to the forgiveness. So a lot of you out there are wondering, I still feel anger towards this person. You know what, anger's a sign a boundary line's been crossed. A boundary line got crossed in your life. Don't beat yourself up for the anger, just acknowledge it for what it is, claim that you've forgiven and released and that anger's not gonna have control over your life and then respond out of who you are and who you want to be in Jesus. Yeah. And that's how you forgive somebody. Yeah. So, confession. I know it's like <laughs> drinking from a fire hydrant here, but I, confession, we use it like a water gun, but it's, um, it, it's a massive weapon because the word confession is homologous. It means to say the same things or to agree with. So we think that we're only supposed to confess when we've done something really huge and really wrong. But in reality, we're actually supposed to agree with, I, so when we confess sin, for example, all we're doing is saying, I agree, I've missed the mark. But we also confess, we hold fast to the confession of our hope. We, can, we uh, confess Christ as Lord. There's a lot of things that we agree with or say the same thing about. And confession is never meant to be used as a hit and miss strategy to somehow dig ourselves out of a pit. Confession is meant to be used on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, to have people in your life to go, hey, you know what? I am agreeing that I'm having this thought. I'm agreeing that I'm having these behavioral tendencies. I'm agreeing that I'm having these emotions or my body's doing, I'm agreeing with this, that I'm, let me say, I'm acknowledging the reality of it, but I'm agreeing with what God says. And so I'm confessing it now while it's a thought, an emotion, or behavioral tendency before it becomes fruit on the tree of my soul and other people eat off of it. Yep. And what I, like, I work with so many pastors and missionaries who've been holding things for years, 15 years, 20 years of these whole other lives. And you wonder like, how in the world can that happen? It's because gifts are not the same thing as fruits. Gifts are given. Fruits take time and oftentimes pain. And so you've got these really gifted people who aren't walking in line with the spirit and they're so afraid of being found out. They're so afraid of the consequences. There's pride or ego. There's a lot of things that prevent us to defense mechanisms, all sorts of things that keep us from confession. But that confession prevents genuine emotional health and soul care, which ultimately is going to impact your body. It's going to impact your relationships and your ministry, and it's going to impact your relationship with God. And so if I could say anything at all, forgive and build healthy rhythms of confession. Who cares what people think about us if we aren't healthy? Because ultimately, like we've talked about, soul care has eternal repercussions. If I'm not taking care of my soul and people around me know that I'm a Christian, but all they eat from the fruit of my tree is bitterness and anger. Man, it's so I think building rhythms of forgiveness in your life and building rhythms of confession promote soul care in unbelievable ways. And I'd say, look, you have it here, small groups. Yeah, yeah. so good. We got to keep moving. It's like we could spend another probably literally 45 minutes on those two things. Um, whenever it comes to mental disorders and, um, you know, I guess for us personally, knowing the difference between a mental disorder, a temporary struggle, an attack of the enemy, you know, all these types of things. Um, you know, I mean, that's, I think that's a question a lot of people have is like, man, I'm going through this. How do I know what this is and how I'm supposed to approach it? What would you say to somebody that's asking that question? 
Yeah, that's a good point. Hey, also, really quickly, this just died. So it has all the right knowledge on it with no power. Well, it's a Microsoft, right? Is it's what Microsoft. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to answer your question, I, I think one, how do we know if it's like physical or where, if it's temporary, if it's a mental illness? I think it's, it, everything hangs together. And so every experience that we have, whether it's a temporary struggle or mental illness, is going to impact our body, it's going to impact our soul, it's going to impact our relationships, and it's going to impact our spirit. And so I think understanding where those things start is really important. But when you think about is this temporary, most temporary struggle is going to be, it's going to ebb and flow with life. It's going to be connected to uh, circumstances. Your responses are going to make sense, like grief makes sense to loss. And, and so, uh, and when those circumstances alleviate, the situation will alleviate or God speaks to you in that moment and you get authority over it. And so you realize, hey, it's just, I think those are just the temporary trials and, and struggles that we have. When you think about mental illness, mental illness or psychological uh, illness that, that we classify as like a mental disorder um, is more pervasive and it's more serious. So it's going to impact how you think. It's going to impact how you feel. It's going to impact what you do. It's um, going to last longer than it should, even when situations in your life improve. And it's going to impact you across multiple areas of your life, your work, your family, your church, relationship, education. And so that, that's really different from these temporary uh, struggles that we tend to have. And I get a lot of questions about um, how do you know when it's demonic? Or how do you know when it's a spiritual issue? Well, I would say that most... Um, most, most demonic activity doesn't necessarily respond to medication, right? And I think that the spiritual aspect of who we are and any attack of the enemy can, can impact the whole of who we are. So what we do is we pray for discernment. We pray for discernment. You, if you call something spiritual that's not spiritual, you can inadvertently abuse a person. Think about somebody with untreated hypothyroidism and they're dealing with mood lability and depression and you tell them that it's a spiritual spirit of heaviness and bondage. You've just thoroughly confused that person and put them in, like now they're thinking they're not spiritual when in fact that was the strength they had to get through it. What we need to be playing is physical healing. So what I, pray for discernment. Take authority in the name of Jesus. If this is any spiritual attack, we... In the name of Jesus, we have authority over this. And then do your due diligence in the areas that you are responsible for. Your body, your soul, and your relationships. Because you could, even if it is spiritual, and you refuse to forgive someone. Well, you've given the enemy something to hang on to. We call those strongholds. Um, yeah, I'm done. That's what I got. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've been waiting for an, what does he call it, an Andy moment? What would you call it earlier? Oh, yeah, Andy stare. Andy stare. Yeah, was, that was good. Yeah, was, I like that. That was Andy Wall. Because sometimes that happens to me. Done. Yeah, I'm going to start calling it that whenever I do that. <laughs> to Nadine. I'll be like, babe, sorry, she's an Andy stare. You know? um, Just like throwing right. flaming marshmallows at me. <laughs> I'm really excited about that story, too. That was that was special. Um, what did she say? She, Melody's like, it's terrible. That's just a terrible illustration. But it got the point across. It's sort of like the diaper yesterday. It's just, it gets the point across, right? Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. All right, so um, 
So really one last question is, uh, if, if I'm in the crowd today sitting here and I've got a family member or a friend who I know is in, um, they're, they're deep in it. I mean, depression, it could be depression. It could be, um, you know, panic attacks. It could be whatever, a situation where they are, they're, they're not getting out of it. You know I mean? And, and I say that with a lot of grace because sometimes people, you know, you go through something and somebody's like, well, you just need to get over it. So, well, it's not that easy, you know, so I'm saying this with a lot of grace, but, but if I am a person kind of on the outside of the situation, I really want to help that person. How do I help them? Because I don't want to, yeah. so for some people, it might be addictions and things. I don't want to enable them because that, that doesn't end help. But I mean, what do I do if I've got somebody that I'm really trying to help? I mean, what's some things that I can do? Number one, you got to realize that we're called to suffer with people, not for them. Just let that sink in for a minute. We're called to suffer with people, not for them. Only Christ suffered for us and overcame it. We cannot take on the suffering of another person, but we can have compassion, which means to suffer with, so that we walk alongside people in their suffering, but we need to be able to temporarily branch out and take care of ourselves. And so that's the first thing, is realize that you, need, you may need boundaries um, so that you can take care of yourself and suffer with them, but not for them. I think also you, you gotta learn how to listen to understand rather than listen to respond. A lot of times when we don't know what to do, we just start flying out behavioral solutions. You need to go do this, you need to go do this. And I think that could be detrimental. I think the, the most important thing you could do is listen to be able to understand. So you're getting better and better and better at asking questions. Well, tell me about this, help me understand this. You wanna validate someone's experience. When people feel invalidated, they immediately get defensive and they stop connecting with you. You can validate, you don't have to agree with someone to validate them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we wanna listen um, to understand. And so instead of just throwing out behavioral solutions, we practice a ministry of presence rather than a ministry of, pra of practice. In other words, we use our presence to be with people before we ever do anything to tell them what to do. Are you with me? So we don't suffer with, we, suffer, we don't suffer for, we suffer with. We listen to respond. Um, we listen to understand. We know people to get them connected to. Your pastors are great uh, people to connect them to if people need more help because we don't have to know all the answers at all. So it's really helpful. Know that you can connect with your pastors. And the last one, something we talked about, it's, a, it's something I live by called convicted civility where a lot of people who have convictions are not very civil. They're disrespectful, actually. Um, aggressive. Um, and some people who are civil, they don't have any convictions. And the problem with not believing in anything, G.K. Chesterton says, is that you end up believing in everything. And so what's the point? And so I think there's a, there's a really good balance between realizing what your convictions are but responding with civility towards people who disagree with you, who are struggling, so the response isn't just get over it. The response is, man, I know you need freedom, but how can I be civil towards you and not put you down, not yell, not respond out of my emotion, but respond out of who I am and who I wanna be? Um, so those four things I think are really important. Well, as we're closing out, um, you know, obviously, everything that we believe in is centered around Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. And, uh, and that relationship that we have obviously affects the way that we relate to people. 
you know? And so I'm just wondering if you'd pray over us as we close out, pray over us as, a, as people in our emotional health, our understanding of, of ourselves and our understanding of people, but also, you know, I know that there's a group of people that are here that have not yet put their faith in God. Uh, maybe they have some questions about that and just, just lead us in a prayer in regards to that as well. Yeah, so. absolutely. So um, I'm gonna pray first for all of us just to have a renewed sense of a desire to steward our own souls. To, to cultivate the soil of our own souls. And then I'm gonna pray, and I'll have all of you pray with me because the first place to really start with this is Jesus. And so if you're here, like Pastor Jordan said, and you know, man, that's where I need to start. We wanna give you an opportunity to do that. So let's pray for emotional health. Father, in the name of Jesus, we, emotions are important in the kingdom. Um, we know that uh, love and, and righteousness and joy and peace, it's all part of who you are. and I pray now that you wake us up as the church to steward our souls in a way that allows the fruits of the spirit to, to, to flourish in our lives and in the lives of our church. And I thank you for that. Lord, we open up our hearts. So say this after me. Say, Father, I open up my heart and my mind and my will to you to cultivate in me the fruits of the Holy Spirit and I thank you for this, in Jesus' name. Now, for those of you who are, who are um, knowing, I, I, I need to start with Jesus. I'd like for everybody to pray this prayer with me, just so that we're in agreement. Uh, Pastor Jordan's gonna follow up in just a minute with this, but if you know that that's you, that look, emotional health is great, but I need to start with Jesus. This is for you, so let's all pray this prayer together. So Jesus, I need you. I've tried to fix myself and it hasn't worked. I put my faith in you, your work on the cross, and your resurrection. And I believe that you are saving me now. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.